Welcome to the Why God Why podcast. I am Peter Englert. I am solo hosting with one of my friends, uh, Jennifer Ferreri. She is here. She's uh, This is her third podcast. We were trying to figure out like what Saturday night live person you would be. So listeners, make sure you let us know that. So the question we're dealing with um, is why is there stigma around mental health in the church? And I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think how I've been processing this question, and then I'm just going to throw to Jennifer, is I feel like culture has kind of, there's still a little bit of a stigma. Mm -hmm. I feel like church has kind of progressed, but there's still a little bit of a stigma. And there's probably different reasons from there. But Jennifer, welcome. Thanks for having me again. Before we get all serious, because we've talked about mental health Very serious. Tell me one thing that is wonderful in your life right now. Uh, I have an almost seven-year-old, and I'm always amazed at the way he thinks, the way his brain works, uh, the smile, and you know when he gets giggling. I mean, it's it's healing. Oh, I like that. You know, every time um, every time I take a shower, I think of self care, mm. and I just wait. I know that that sounds weird, but you need to listen <laughs> to that episode. So it's anyway, a good episode. Too. There you go. So. Hey, so for our listeners that don't know you, yeah. you grew up in the church. I did. You became a mental health professional. Mm-hmm. You're good friends with my wife, Robin. Love her. Um, bring us through that journey from little Jennifer to Jennifer becoming a counselor and the church along the way. Ooh, that's loaded. That's loaded. We'll start big. Yeah. So growing up in the church was really... It was formative for me. I had a wonderful church home and church family that we um, started attending. I think I was five and until I moved out mm-hmm. um, in my 20s. So I had a really, really wonderful experience. Same pastor that whole time who really encouraged my growth and encouraged questioning and doubting and asking questions, which I don't know is always everyone's experience in the church. Mm-hmm. So I just really loved being a part of that. Um, Certainly on reflection, there's things I think could have been different or better, Um, but I was always well supported. The experience of having many people to love me and encourage my growth was awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't recall anyone ever talking about mental health. It's not like anyone said anything against mental health or getting help for mental health. But no one ever said, hey, I'm struggling. Mm. Hey, let's support a ministry. Let's do any of those things. Really until recent years did I hear someone talk about that. And that kind of affected even in my own family when folks were struggling with mental health. We didn't really talk about it. And um, I think that contributed to some covert stigma of mental health in the church because it wasn't something freely talked about. Maybe that was assumed it's not okay to talk about it and it's not okay to get help for it. I want to get deeply personal because this is Yeah, you. bring it. I mean, when you look back at that season, do you feel like, what were you dealing with mental health wise mm-hmm. that would have been different if it was more overt? Well, so in my extended family, right, we had a hospitalization for depression. And I don't remember maybe someone was there for my parents and and how they were handling that family member but no one brought it up to me no one talked to me about it it mm-hmm. wasn't you know someone visiting with us or a pastor sitting with us at that time 
So it was almost as if it was a secret that that was happening. And I think secrets keep us sick. Um, I know that um, one of my parents has really struggled with mental illness. And when they were really, really in a bad place, they felt like I'm supposed to just rely on Jesus for this. I'm not supposed to get help. I'm not supposed to need meds. I'm not supposed to do that. Um, I should just be able to pray this and God will cover it. So that affected my relationship with that parent and that challenged our ability to work together in a lot of ways. Um, and then I struggled with anxiety since, well, if you ask my mother, she'd identify kindergarten as the first time she noticed. Um, and it was just one of those things that was kind of just not talked about. You know, now that you're kind of talking, so we had a pre-conversation mm -hmm. and I kind of like you, I don't think the church I attended um, was overtly against mental health. Mm -hmm. Like I actually, I remember one of my pastors like actually recommending people to counselors. Mm. Um, but even as you talked about anxiety, I don't know if my parents or if I had language for that. Right. And and there's even kind of the chicken or egg conversation. Is it because we as a culture weren't there or we as a church weren't there? Like now I can kind of look back and go, oh yeah, like, you know, when something would happen at school, like, and I couldn't sleep, like, you know, yeah. or, you know, when, when I was kind of doubting self-worth or even moments when maybe I was, I wouldn't say I was clinically depressed, but maybe I was leaning towards languishing. Mm -hmm. um, thank you, Elena Brubaker. So I, I don't know, like, would, is that kind of a similar experience, would you say? Yeah. And one of my biggest frustrations with the church in the last couple of years, particularly since I went into private practice about four years ago, is that it feels to me that the church is lagging behind culture in many ways and its ability to care for its people in all of these diverse things that are that we're talking about more as a culture. Pastors, I think, are unprepared, undereducated in a lot of ways, and then it's hard to care for the flock mm. um, when you're not given the tools mm -hmm. to do that. Um, you know, I see a lot of clients who have really struggled because their pastors or their churches shut them down mm -hmm. um, to get help or made it, you know, use scripture to say things like, um, cast all your anxieties on God. That's it. Just do that. And that's all you need. And for many people, that's really hard because then they question their faith. They question their, I have folks who question their salvation. Obviously, I'm not a good Jesus follower if I'm struggling with these things because I'm told just cast my anxieties on him and it's all good. Well, interestingly enough, you know, we're recording this at Browncroft. And by the way, if you hear noises, Flower City Work Camp uh, is come, going on here. We have a couple hundred teenagers. So we're uh, actually borrowing this room right now. But this room actually is where my wife's mother mm -hmm. started Agape Counseling. And so it just, it's, I mean, it's just hitting me now that it's fascinating that here's kind of one of those beautiful examples and i just i i so highly respect my wife and uh, my mother-in-law when it comes to mental health mm -hmm. i kind of want to back up and bringing that up so at some point you decided i want to be a counselor um 
walk us through that relationship with church, Christianity, and counseling. Yeah. Um, and how that kind of played out. It's interesting because I don't, when I reflect on my own life timeline, I don't necessarily see a direct correlation between my Christian upbringing and winding up in mental health, but I I did somehow seem to be the friend that everyone came to to talk about their problems or get advice, and I'm not certain much of that advice was any good. Um, You know, that's what happens in middle school. You think you know all the things. Um, But I really appreciated being someone who could listen and someone who could comfort or offer space And so when I was 12, I knew I want to help people. That's my goal. And that that started as family counseling as an idea and art therapy it became. And as I grew, that really sort of honed itself into wanting to do some things. And I was so blessed to be able to attend Houghton College um, for a psychology degree. Home of the Highlanders. (laughs) My husband right now is expecting me to do the song and I'm not going to do it. Because I care about all your listeners, and they don't need to hear me sing. My my wife, so listeners, if you don't know, cause, wait, you're the same way. You're a, a Houghton undergrad with a Robert. I sure am. That's basically like Ohio State and Michigan. <laughs> but anyways, continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. So I, I had these amazing professors who not only cared about my education, but about my faith journey as well. It was a really formative experience for me to really know that this was where I wanted to be in life. And um, I met with my advisor maybe junior or senior year to talk about what was next. And he said, Dr. Stevenson, um, what do you want to do? You know, what are you looking at? And I told him about, you know, my journey and wanting to help people. And he said, have you considered social work? Mm. And I went, social work? They take children from their families. I don't want that job. He's like, you need to research what social work really is. Mm. So I did. And I saw this really marvelous opportunity to get further education in social work, to be able to touch lives in so many different ways that you could just take this degree anywhere. And then when I said, went back and said, you know, Dr. Stevenson, you're right. Social work is exactly what I want to do. He said, go to Roberts, right? So it seems like this big rivalry, and maybe on the soccer field it is, Um, but he encouraged that, and I went and checked with another professor, Dr. Simmons, and she said, oh yeah, do that. You'll run circles around them educationally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was like, oh, that's so it's gonna be easy is what you're telling me. Um, And so getting a degree in social work really gave me a lot of great opportunities. I had wonderful practicums where I got a lot of social work experience, then ended up, you know, in an agency setting and then private practice. And you're saying you ran circles because you were so passionate about like. I think this professor was saying academically Houghton was far harder. <laughs> I think it was a dig. There, there was a little rivalry there. There was a dig there. Um, and it was a very different academic experience, certainly, but also a really different experience community wise because grad school, you're not living there. You're not immersed. Um, well, we just we just had a series with Northeastern at Roberts, so I just we love Roberts. <laughs> Absolutely. North, so there we go. It was but, a great, great accredited social work program, yeah. and um, it's just a different experience and going from one to the next. But to be at two Christian institutions for my education really helped me see the importance of having Jesus followers in a whole variety 
of settings that mm. our worldview and the love of Christ needs to be in every setting, mm. not just Christian settings. Well, so let, let's talk about this for a second. Um, there's cultural stigmas that have changed with mental health. Mm -hmm. There's probably some that are still the same. There's church stigmas. Some have changed and have stayed the same. You know, just walk us through that. Yeah. A lot of what I hear is a misuse of scripture to tell folks how to handle mental mm -hmm. health challenges. Um, and I think that's because sometimes we just believe whatever we were taught is accurate. And so someone else's teaching interpretation of scripture becomes what they believe it really says or what God really intended. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really well intended by that individual to say, cast your anxieties on the Lord. And yeah, let's do that. Let's do that. And if someone's really struggling, let's get other help. I think we're all gifted in many different ways and we can use those gifts in relationship to help one another through our struggles. Mm-hmm. So I hear that, um, we had a wonderful Twitter follower share their example that they were told to let go and let God with their grief and anxiety and depression. And that didn't help. And that's a challenge. By the way, that is not a Bible verse. I just, I, I clear, <laughs> Let, let's kind of hone in on that because I mean, most of our listeners probably aren't pastors, mm -hmm. but I'm sure we have a few pastors pick Pick a very mental health Bible verse. Oh, geez. Just pick one and let's process through it together because I think this might be helpful. So. Yeah. Well, I'm not a pastor. Well, but I don't even play one on TV, Peter. So that's your job. Well, but right? I'm not a counselor. So exactly. So, so this is so let's pick a Bible verse and let's yeah, let's walk through it. And let's let me just say that I think is the number one takeaway for church leadership is that we need to work in community. Oh, yeah. With people within our church that have these talents and skills as well as just in the greater community so we can use our assets and skills together to help our people mm -hmm. pastors don't have to take all of this on oh yeah yeah like let me free you all from that <laughs> that the church leadership doesn't have to handle all of it you have a great role and then mental health therapists have a great role Mm. So, yeah, that's one stigma that can go for pastors. If that pressure's on there, let's get rid of that. Well, let's do that. Yeah. Well, but let's come back. Yeah. Let's So pick pick any verse. Well, it always folks are saying, cast your anxieties on the Lord. Mm -hmm. and, it, and that's paraphrasing. So what's the actual verse, Peter? Okay, so this is great. I'm really glad that we're doing this. So when I study First Peter, mm -hmm. so I'm going to try to stay in my lane, and then I'll hand it off to you yeah. to help you kind of, so... When I read First Peter, First Peter is written to a group of people in crisis. So it's written to a group of people that radically came to know Jesus. But the first part of First Peter is to the diaspora or the people that are exiled. So like this isn't, this has a lot of weight to it. Mm -hmm. And there's a ton of things that Peter does in the first couple chapters like, he talks about value, like you're a royal priesthood. You are valued and you're loved by God. So when I get to cast all my cares, like I can't dismiss the first four chapters. And I think even what Peter's saying, it, it it's practical advice to people in crisis, which changes how I apply to that. Now you respond to that as a mental, I think this is great. So I'm all excited. So. Yeah, well, I'm right there with you, right? When we When we take a solitary verse, and apply it 
in one context, it is not necessarily accurate to the intention of the original writer. And I think that's so important. And, you know, if we could, even if we took all of the Psalms, right, to say, we, we can't have anxieties, we can't have worries, that somehow that means we're not going to God with those things, that we're somehow less of faith, that's where I think we start to doubt ourselves, we start to have shame around our difficult and, dis- and uncomfortable experiences, and we think, well, scripture says anxieties, right? Which I don't know what the original language says, but I don't know if it says anxieties at all. <laughs> and so I think there's a lot more teaching and learning and studying we can do while supporting a person of faith to get the help they need to understand what they're experiencing and how that relates to their faith journey. Well, and I want to stick on this because I, I actually think going down through the microscope is actually going to help us. Mm-hmm. So even now as I'm thinking, this wasn't even on our questions. The verses in First Peter 5 before that were young, um, older men seek out younger men, older women seek out younger women. Like there's actually this relational mm-hmm. component that before it ever gets to cast your cares on Jesus, like it's, this is what the church and support looks like. Yeah. I'm gonna throw that out there. As a mental health therapist, what part of that verse do you see as truth and what part do you see as a misconception? Because I've, I've kind of delved into, hey, like don't take this verse solid, you know, in solitary, look mm-hmm. at all the stuff. Yeah. But I mean, as you kind of hear all of this, how would you, if I was preaching that, how what would you say to me to think about? I, I would say it's it's not just one verse. It's not just one chapter. Mm-hmm. We have the context of an entire Bible, the whole canon to look at, and our our experiences of the Holy Spirit in the 21st century. Mm. That, you know, I saw someone on Twitter say, you know, the Bible doesn't include everything. Like, tacos aren't in the Bible. <laughs> and I thought, oh, poor Jesus, never had a taco. <laughs> That's so sad, right? So while it's really wonderful context and there's truth to be had, we also have to look at each other and where the Holy Spirit's guiding and leading us each today and what our gifts are. So if you're going to talk about how we cast all of our anxieties on the Lord, that has to be in a 21st century context and that it is in relationship and that we all have the gifts. And sometimes the way we do that is in relationship. And we go to a therapist who has maybe a similar faith, maybe not, but we use that opportunity as a way to identify the cares, identify how to surrender that and get support to do so. Mm. Mm. That's really, really good. So here's the deal. You're going to be um, seeing people today. Yeah. Clients. What stigmas do you hear most often um, from the clients? Mm-hmm. And again, we're not breaking any. This is very general. We're not Absolutely. breaking any HIPAA laws or anything. No private health information coming at you. <laughs> no. I, I hear regularly that, you know, people were discouraged from taking medication for mental health. Interesting. And that's a big one, that somehow, some way, mental health is seen as something separate from physical health. I've not heard anyone say, hey, my pastor told me not to do insulin for my diabetes, Mm. but I'm not gonna take Prozac 
for my anxiety and depression. So I think there's a misunderstanding mm -hmm. um, in some more traditional church settings about how mental health really is just health. And to shame someone or for not having enough faith to not need medication. If they could just pray enough, love enough, participate and study enough of the Bible that somehow that would solve the problem. Mm. I can, before we come, I wanna come back to that because okay. I feel like that's a hot button issue that we need to wrestle with. I think there's kind of this inaccurate assumption that like sometimes churches or even just culture, it's, I feel anxious, I've gotta go see a counselor. And I wonder if even some of the fear of medication is, hey, like we want you to do the hard work. Mm -hmm. And obviously I'm not there for clients. And I wouldn't say that about me. I, I'm going to take you at your word. Um, I trust you as an adult to tell me as much <laughs> of the truth. But like there's, I think there's this sense of instead of doing the real work of therapy, I'm just going to go see a counselor. Mm. I'm just going to go to, and I think that's probably the hesitation. I don't know. Push back on that. But that's kind of where. Yeah. Um, well, the intentions that, that a church, a leadership, a pastor might have in what they're saying to a client doesn't mean the client's receiving that message mm. with those intentions. Mm. So sometimes it's about the relationship and the dialogue um, that could be really helpful there. But I think, you know, and I'm not a therapist who thinks everyone who experiences mental health challenges needs medication. And yet studies would show that in a lot of cases, medication alone is 30% effective. Mm. Therapy alone is 30% effective, but combined they're about 75% effective. <laughs> you know, that's that research, I couldn't tell you when it was done. It's probably been a long time. I'm, I'm a lot older than I remember in my head. And so, you know, that's around depression in particular, but I think that means a lot to think that if we combine the resources, combine with coping skills, combine with talking about where we're at, we get a lot more improvement. Mm. And I know for many clients who have generalized anxiety, major depressive disorder, things like that, it can be really hard to get to the point of doing the work of therapy when the symptoms are so thick and heavy, when every day is more about surviving than figuring out how to manage it. So sometimes medication can be really helpful to take enough of the edge off mm. of the symptoms that we can then really begin to explore the healing process. Mm. No, that's huge. Do you think that the stigma, now we're just gonna go into medication, mm -hmm. is what's, well, you know, I'm not even gonna, what do you think's the biggest stigma about medication when you kind of unpack that with pastors and church people? Mm -hmm. What do you think it is? Hmm. I'll throw, I, I think it's just a lack of understanding and education about it. Okay. I think more awareness more discussion helps reduce stigma in general. Like just the fact that we're having this conversation, someone might hear this conversation and go, oh, well maybe, it, maybe it's okay to get help. Maybe mm. it's okay to encourage my loved one to get help, or maybe I can just talk about it more, right? When I show up somewhere like in my church and I'm like, hey everybody, don't mind me today. I'm just in the middle of a wicked episode of anxiety. So I'm gonna sit back here, I'll be fine. And then I get a card in the mail the next week that says, I've never talked to anyone about my feelings. I'm in my whatever's decades and even my spouse doesn't know that I suffer from anxiety. I've never been allowed to talk about it. I never felt safe 
to talk about it. And so I want you to know it means a lot that you're open wow. when you're struggling. I, I'm going to throw this out there mm -hmm. because this is what I think. And maybe our listeners have some of that. I feel like the hidden fear of medication is addiction. Like okay. it's, it's, you know what? This person's going to have to take it the rest of their life. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had a lot of conversations with Robin, but I, I just kind of, that's kind of the problem behind the problem. I don't know, push okay. back on that. No, I think that's really important because that speaks to potentially a, a lack of understanding of the medications mm. and the variety and options around medications. Certainly, if we're talking about heavy duty anxiety medication for like benzodiazepines, Xanax, Ativan, that kind of thing, for panic attacks, certainly there's addictive potential for those medications. That's why in taking them as prescribed and as needed only, that kind of stuff's really important for a lot of folks. But it's really helpful medication for folks who need that level of care. Mm. Your more standard antidepressant type medications, your Prozacs and you know the basics, there's not addictive potential there. So just that term addiction makes people step back, right? But either you can suffer or take the medication in some places. And it's temporary. It's mm -hmm. like, figure it out right now. What if we're talking about medication for the time that it takes to take enough of the edge off to do the work in therapy, to manage the trauma stuff, to manage the family stuff, to manage the attachment issues, mm. resolve codependency, learn self-care. And then maybe you talk with your provider about weaning off and seeing how you do for a while. Mm. Well, and it even has me thinking like placebos for a second. Mm -hmm. Like, would I be against, I mean, I think, so first of all, whenever someone comes and sees me for a mental health issue, like my first issue is I can help you discern a little bit where God is. I can help yeah. you kind of walk through scripture, but that's my lane. Mm -hmm. I will pray with you. I will support you. I will yes. encourage you. I don't have a license to recommend like any type of therapy yeah i tell you to go see a counselor i might even tell you to go see your doctor so i just yeah i want to make that kind of clear like so like if people say well peter you know he's he's recommending you take drugs or something like i can't i legally i can't do that and i think even for you legally you can't i do, that. do not i say let's have a conversation with your doctor yeah so like even with i'm going to come back to this placebo yeah. idea like so would we be okay if someone took a placebo and it like and again, for those of you that don't know, placebo is basically a sugar pill that mm -hmm. just kind of gives people this thought. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, it, that kind of gets like, if that's going to help a person move forward and it's literally yes. adding more sugar, which isn't necessarily terrible. <laughs> maybe I'm, some, someone's going to correct me. Sure. I don't know. I'm, I'm just I get your too. point though. Yeah. I think that's important. And um, in a psychopharmacology training I did, meaning medications for mental health for psychology the trainer said just about anything can be a placebo so when we say to one another or pastor you say to someone you can do this that get, mm. puts a plants a thought of support and encouragement and i can do this and they're more likely to do it mm. so that's an awesome thing that anyone can do for that someone they love encourage pray with them share their their feelings that yeah you can do this that's placebo and it works. Mm -hmm. You know, you have me thinking too, 
you know, I'm thinking about the, just the people that feel like I'm not a pastor and I'm not a mental health person. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had numerous conversations where someone said to me kind of what you said, I, I've been really anxious. And like all of a sudden the air drops out of the room when mm-hmm. I go, yeah, I've had panic attacks. Like, and I'm careful how I say that. Like, I've never had to go to the hospital. Mm-hmm. It's never, but like my wife will tell you there's times that I pace back and forth. You know, I don't like lose my breath mm-hmm. and don't like, but yeah, I, you know when I'm panicking. Um, you know, just, just uh, Monday. All right, I'm, I'm like, Let's do it, Peter. I'm I'm getting free therapy here. Um, So Lucy had three like bad diapers at daycare. We're like planning to go on vacation Mm. very soon. And um, I'm just kind of overwhelmed with, you know, everything. And I I show up and show up to daycare and they're like, hey, she doesn't have a temperature, but we're a little worried about her. And they, they give me the baby and... I'll just say I was not the most gracious and I, we love our daycare and it had nothing to do with them. It was just more like, you know, how am I going to get all this stuff done? And I have this child. And um, what's interesting about that was later on, my wife was on the phone and one of the daycare workers in a very therapeutic way just said, dad seemed a little frustrated. And I had to send a message back and say, I'm really sorry. I felt really overwhelmed in that moment of like, so I think even normalizing just that example yes. is actually what people are looking for. Yeah. Yeah. Just to, to empathize with one another, right? Not everyone's anxiety looks the same. Not everyone's depression looks the same. Yes, there's diagnostic criteria, blah, blah, blah. But we all experience how we our brains and our bodies express those things. And so if I say, wow, I'm having a lot of anxiety today, and you're also having a lot of anxiety, it's not helpful to be like, well, maybe Peter's is worse than mine because Peter's pacing and I'm just sitting here, mm-hmm. right? The comparison isn't helpful. That mm-hmm. actually promotes stigma because we're judging, we're comparing. Instead of going, yeah, I, I've been anxious before. I know what that's like. What do you need from me? Do you want me to just sit with you? Do you need me to bring in a glass of water? Do you need to be left completely alone? Mm. We don't have to be trained to do that. We don't have to be in a leadership or a pastoral role to do that. We just have to be human to one another mm-hmm. and meet each other where we're at, knowing everyone on the planet has felt anxious at some time. Mm. It's actually a really beautiful thing the brain does. It says, hey, there's a threat here. We don't like threats. We'd like to survive. <laughs> so here's all of these physiological warning signals that there's a threat now when something becomes more of an anxiety disorder there's no real threat there Mm. it's a perceived threat and that's why the feelings are like where'd that come from this Mm. is disproportionate to what is really happening around me and yet it's a really good thing god created in the brain Mm. to say hey here's the flashing (laughs) lights here's your heart rate here's all of that we want that so i'm going to move us in a little different Mm -hmm. direction Folks, this is like if Jennifer and I were having coffee. This is why we do this podcast. Absolutely. So I think we've asked two questions, but who cares? So the main priority I have in my role at Browncroft is to help people get into small groups. And small Mm -hmm. groups are 10 to 12 people um, that are sharing life together. So that usually just looks like 
once a week they're getting together. And I've heard a small group's pastor, her name is Karen Shannon. She's from Liquid Church down in New Jersey. But she made this comment. I don't know if it's a real study or not. But she said 85% of people's needs can be met in a small group. Mm. And, you know, 15% kind of can. And I've kind of used that number. And I think even what she said, too, was 85% of, like, even people, like, when they're not in crisis, like, there's a 15%. That's where you're spending your most time. So let me tell you why I think small groups are important. And then let me tell you where I think therapy is important. And then push back. So. Okay. Lots of times I meet people that need therapy because they don't have some type of healthy friendships and relationships and people that are encouraging them and pushing them to move forward. But that still means even if you're running at full six cylinders with relationships, you still have garbage to work through. So I see those things going hand in hand. There might be some seasons where you're going to small group every week you're reading the Bible, you're praying, you're encouraging each other, but you still need to go to therapy every week or once a month. And I think that like my view of community is holistic. And I'm gonna use an outside example, just something that's less controversial, so to speak. Like I don't expect our small groups to be seminaries. So like if you need to grow, like if you need to understand the Trinity, there's probably studies that can do that, but I want you to go, you know, talk to uh, Irenaeus. You know, I want you to read, like, there's some outside work to do yeah. that might kind of come in. I kind of see that the same way with there. There's certain things that a small group and community in a church does, but that doesn't discount the other. So that's kind of my working theory. Mm-hmm. Push back on it. I mean, I'm just going to join you in it. Okay. No pushback. Okay. It's all valuable. Mm. It all has a place in our support team. Mm. Right. It is wonderful to have friends we can talk our daily lives with, to vent, to explore, to get some sound advice, to have someone who will say, I'm not sure that that's the right way for you to go. People who truly know us and are willing to be honest in that way. And at the same time, it's great to have someone who's more objective, who's not in your day to day life to also bounce things off of, to have a more clinical perspective or help you to explore for your own answers, right? A lot of times friends will tell you what you need to do, what you're supposed to do, what you should do. Mm. A good therapist is gonna say, I wonder if we considered this. Let's get curious about that. What do you think? And then you're figuring that out on your own. And you know, I have great supports in my day-to-day life. I also have a great therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Pray for her, right? (laughs) A therapist's therapist has a hard job. You know, I should have, you gave me a mug today. I should have brought it up. Maybe we'll take a picture on social media, but it's like, I have Jesus and a great therapist. There's a shirt too. (laughs) Well, you know, so one of the things I, as a pastor, I struggle with, and I'm sharing this because I think it's helpful. What are the metrics for healthy spirituality? Mm. And even I think for mental health, what's the met, like, it's like, I feel like I have my Fitbit and and they now have this line that you can fill out that's like, are you calm, stressed, or anxious? Mm. It's helpful, but it's not really, but here's some metrics that even I heard from you. So like with a therapist, like does my therapist know me well enough to kind of just pause me? And here's what I'd even say for a small group. Do people know you well enough that, 
hey, Jennifer, you just seemed a little off tonight. Right. You know, hey, Jennifer, like, I don't know if you noticed, but like, you're tapping a lot. Like, what's what's that about? Like, are you uncomfortable? And I think those are just as important metrics in the sense of spiritual growth, mm-hmm. in personal growth, in mental health growth, that, you know, that's something that the church and we're like, you don't have to be a psychotherapist to know that. No, no. And I, you know, to have um, an idea that things can ebb and flow over time, I often share with new clients, you know, who have kind of heard or thought that therapy is like going to last forever. They're going to be in my office every week laying down on a couch for, you know, no one lays down on my couch, by the way. (laughs) I have. I have between sessions. Not going to lie. But I tell people it's kind of like an accordion. There are times when life is at a place where we need to meet close together. Mm -hmm. It's an every week work. We're intensely working on a goal and managing crises or any of those kinds of things. And then there's times where we're meeting farther apart. And that would be the same with seasons with your small group or any other relationships. It it goes, expands and contracts, but it's all still making music. Mm. There's all still a part and a melody and a harmony that's happening. It's just different. And I think it's okay to know that, that that would be the same with medication, the same with counseling. It's about what you need and where you're at right then. But to get that, you need to be vulnerable and you need to be honest. Mm. And that's not always comfortable. It's not something we've all been trained as okay to to share our pain and to share our, our vulnerability, but that's important in all those relationships so that you can get the full benefit of them. Mm. I kind of want to close with, with two questions, um, but this, oh man, I just, I'm, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Like it's kind of healing for me. Uh, <laughs> you know, when John used to be a co-host mm-hmm. here, he used to say like, I, we invite therapists to get free therapy. So there you yeah. go. It just means you haven't gotten my invoice. I wondered why that wasn't paid. <laughs> hey, I thought this was promotion, so we're... Oh, all right, uh, fine. <laughs> Mutual benefit. We, we try to win-win. <laughs> so if you were sitting down with a group of de-churched, unchurched, skeptics, even pastors, um, you can't say Jesus, the Bible, or prayer, but as someone that lives in the faith world and the therapy world, what does Christianity uniquely bring to mental health that maybe other systems or other religions don't? Hmm. I guess I would push back and say I think that there's a commonality in just humanity in general. And in my understanding of most world religions, that the point is relationships and the point is love. Mm-hmm. And if I can't say Jesus, if I can't say, you know, church or Bible, I think the, the whole important point is let love lead. Um, and that's a motto I try to live my life by. And I have since my Houghton College days where you had to attend two thirds of chapel every year, every semester to graduate. And Dr. Don Osgood was there one day. And it's the only chapel I remember from my whole four years there. And of all the things he said, he just kept coming back to let love lead. Mm-hmm. And that really shifted and changed my whole understanding of what it meant to be a Christian. And I think there's a misconception and it's a whole other podcast for you to do on what is a Christian really yeah. versus how they're <laughs> seen in the world. Um, but I think when it comes to mental health, if we let love lead, if we make relationship the most important component of our day, 
we're going to do a lot to help people with their mental health. Yeah. I, I want to respond to my own question. Mm-hmm. This is weird. interview. I mean, because so maybe it's more of a misconception, even the way that I frame the question. But I think a, a lot about Elijah mm. and Elijah. I think it's Second Kings 18. He just gets done with this huge miracle. You can call it burnout. You can call it depression. He basically says, I don't want to live anymore. Mm, mm-hmm. And the fact that the writers of scripture, God allowed that to be in the Bible. And you hear me talk about this a lot. If you listen to this pod, like the Psalms, like if God was really insecure, like the mm. one thing I can say about Christianity, that's a misconception, like there is this openness to the messiness of humanity yes. that I, I don't think people fully appreciate. Yeah, absolutely. We lament. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing. I, I've been going through it with God this year in mm-hmm. the last, you know, most of COVID, but been having a lot of tough conversations. Listen, um, I listened to the Daily Audio Bible podcast, which reads scripture, every, the, whole, the whole Bible in a year. It's really fantastic because I don't have the patience to sit and actually read it, (laughs) reads it to me. And listening to the Old Testament this year, it struck me in a different way. I'm in a different place in my faith journey. And I was angry about some of the stuff in there. And you know what? When I went to God with my anger and with some of my colorful language that I had about it, he met me there every time. And it's there that I think we can make progress when we let people know it's okay to be angry, it's okay to question, it's okay to doubt, and talk to God about that, and talk to people who love you in the church who are safe to talk about those things, and let it be a growth experience. Mm. Well, hey, we always close the show yeah. with this question. Um, that was a great setup to that. Um, you know, what does Jesus have to say about the stigma of mental health um, in the church? And so. As always, you know, we'll let the pastor kind of bring some heresy and you can clean it up the therapy. I love that smile to that serious voice. That was great. So folks, I was noticing emotions. Just want to, you know, just (laughs) you got a great point there. You know, so I I come back to um, I'm I'm in the book of Matthew right now. I'm on a two year reading plan to read the whole Bible. Um, Just like you, I listened to it. And we just came through the passage, like Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. Mm. And so I think sometimes we over-spiritualize that to be sinful. I'm sinful. We live in a broken world. Sometimes we go to the physical health because Jesus healed people. But I wonder how much that has to do too with mental health, as in we live in the brokenness of anxiety, depression, um, lack of self-awareness, um, codependency. Thank you, Enneagram twos. Um, you know, we live in the midst of all of that. And, you know, if you feel like the church has a stigma, you know, towards mental health, you know, I would encourage you to, to reread scripture in a way that like Jesus is okay with the mess Mm -hmm. and he lives in the mess. And, he constantly is talking to people that are anxious and he's correct. Even even the religious leaders, you know, the rebukes to them, it has something to do with those mental health. It, like, like you have a serious blind spot and like it's not healthy. 
And so I think when you read it in that lens, I think it, there's a vision for church community and even therapy that you can see Jesus at work. So that's my thoughts. Yeah. And I think if we can set aside the human nature of the people in the church, because I think that's where the challenges come in, is that we've taken our own human sinfulness and put it on top of these things, right? The Bible absolutely allows space for mental health challenges, for depression, for anxiety, for overwhelming complex grief and the challenges that come with that. So I think if we really dig down, it's not a, it's not a question of what Jesus thinks. It's about how the stigmas in the church and how mm. the church has been more socialized to do this. You know, we do or don't talk about certain things. So I made a couple of notes about this question. I got three points. Man, you this ready? Is, this is your third interview, and I am not surprised. I love yeah, it. Yeah. So um, the first thing Jesus would say is, come to me and I'll give you rest. Mm-hmm. Never says, I will cure everything. Life will be easy. But I'll give you some rest. Come rest in me. Right? And I have, you know, often I'm talking with folks of faith of, of creating an image of what it would be like to crawl up to the feet of Jesus and rest their head on their knee, on his knees and visualize what they see, what they feel. It's a really grounding experience, but it doesn't take away life's problems. It just is an opportunity, it's a coping skill. And then the next one is, you know, Jesus would say, do what I set as an example, right? Jesus was great at resting, right? I've seen some t-shirts that said, you know, Jesus took naps, so should you, right? He also Preach. cried, right? Some, you know, it's okay to cry. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly cathartic to let out that stuff. When your body says cry, do it. And he also had, you know, he built a support system, right? Mm. Now, certainly it was a two-way street. He want, he needed support, he needed his people, but he was also giving away a lot to that group that he was teaching and following him. But if we, if we rested more, if we let ourselves cry or experience our feelings more, and if we had a good support system, I think Jesus would think that was great for mental health. And I think the last thing he would say is, I love you no matter what. Mm. Wow, that's a great place to land on. This is why we have you on for the third episode in a row. Um, ThrivingTherapy.com. Mm-hmm. Sure is. Man, I, I'm so glad. And then uh, you can literally look her up. Let you know, Jennifer. Let love leave. Jennifer Ferrari at Twitter. Is that? Yeah. Okay. Hey, I am so glad we had you. Um, folks, make sure to share this episode. I'm sure this is going to be helpful conversation starters for your church, for your pastor, for anybody, but also the best way to get a hold of us is to subscribe Mm -hmm. to our email list. So thanks so much for joining us, Jennifer. It's been great to be here. Thanks so much.